week for uh, Christmas to fall on uh, Monday, which means Christmas Eve being Sunday, we get to celebrate together a day early. One thing I'll remind you of tonight at 6 o'clock, we will have our annual Christmas Eve service with candlelight and communion. Uh, so I want to invite you all to that and prepare you all for that. It will be a joy uh, to worship with you tonight. I know that a lot of you have family events and gatherings on Sunday evening of Christmas Eve. But uh, I encourage you to come, and uh, it'll be a blessing to worship uh, Jesus and celebrate the reason for Christmas. Hey, we've had two staff members have really good Christmas gifts given to them uh, this Christmas season. So one is here this morning. Catherine and Russ Moody have Wren today. So do you have her with you right now, Catherine? You want to stand up and show off? This is Wren. She's here. All right. And uh, I think the plan is for Catherine to be here tonight and sing, if all goes well. Beth is going to take, Beth, will you take Wren her gift from Glenlock Church? Welcome Wren, not only into the world, but her first Sunday, worshiping with her church family. And then I want to let you know, Bryson and Brooke, Brooke gave birth to Ezekiel Bryson yesterday afternoon. I don't know who knew that. But we welcome a healthy, a healthy baby boy. I think he said seven pounds, 13 ounces, so a little bit bigger than Wren. Now, I will say this. When I looked down and said hello to Wren this morning, she cried. So I've already, I've already messed that relationship up. So, but nonetheless, we are, we are so blessed as a church to have... Uh, to have these newborns with us. What a blessing. Then the other thing I'll say, uh, Lottie Moon, our emphasis on Christmas offering for missions will actually begin in January. We did the same thing last year. And it's much to my neglect, neglect and forgetfulness that um, several of you have asked. So what we'll do, you can give money to that mission, to the ministry at any time, but we will highlight that and emphasize that and take up offering on Sunday after after services uh, throughout the month of January. So um, I think that's all the announcements that I have. I'm going to ask Larry. Larry, why don't you come, come on up? Hey, let's stand. Larry's going to read our reading today. The emphasis this morning for Advent is joy. So this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we have thought through and preached on and communicated that when Christ comes in the world, he brings hope peace, love, and joy. And Larry, you're a joy and a blessing to me and all of us. So let's be attentive to God's word as Larry reads from the Gospel of Luke. Thank you, Neil, and good morning, everybody. Good morning. I got some kind of bad news last week, and I, I, I know y'all know this, that I don't walk a straight line very often, but... Uh, the, the doctors are telling me that I have uh, neuropathy, which creates a uh, uh, secretion that goes to the bottom of my feet and kind of like acts like an insulation that's, that, that makes it impossible for me to feel through the bottom of my feet. So that's why it's hard for me to walk uh, normally. I, I don't know where my feet are going. So. <laughs> And, uh, of course, that's not a big difference in the way my life has always been, but uh, I just wanted to share that with you. And uh, Neil asked me to read today. I even got my Bible right side up. I'm so, I am so blessed. I've always been so blessed. Uh, this, this little Bible here was given to me by Coloma Chandler, who was... Uh, uh, Anyway, he, he was, uh, Talmadge was my pastor for a good many years, and she gave me his Bible. I, I was so blessed with that. So I thought today I would, read, I would read out of that to you what Neil asked me to read, and I'm going to read uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And I found out something today that was kind of interesting. Is Does anybody know what swaddling clothes, what, what the real purpose of swaddling clothes was? In those days, it was considered child abuse if you didn't wrap your child in swaddling clothes. And they believed that by wrapping them with this almost like a mummy type of wrapping, that the child would grow strong and their, their bones would be straight and it would give them strength. And I, I'd never heard that before, but I, I got to looking it up and, and it's a fact. So anyway, I just thought I'd educate you a little bit today. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for sometimes our trials and, and struggles, but we know, Lord, that, that you are the answer to every problem, that you're here for us, and that you will carry us through no matter what. And we thank you for the joy of Christmas. We thank you for all that you've provided for us, Lord, and the, and the beautiful thought of your child coming and giving us eternal salvation. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It, good morning. And Merry Christmas to y'all. If you'll continue standing with us, we're going to start with Joyful, Joyful today. <laughs> Our 
will stand with us once again, we're going to continue in worship with angels from the realms of glory. Today, children, you may come forward. Thank you.
Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. Thank you so much, Sarah Beth, for sharing with our children the Advent candles and wreaths. We are grateful for our leaders and our volunteers, uh, which make that ministry happen. Don't you love it when reinforcements are have to ha- have to be called in for the... <laughs> I may call for reinforcements this morning <laughs> because our passage is just so rich and it's so incredible that there is no way uh, one particular person, that is me, with the expected time that we have can exhaust all that's here in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. This is... The prologue, uh, the beginning to John's gospel, the beginning of the good news from the Apostle John, who was the beloved disciple. But John 1, 1 through 18, serves as like the... I guess a good way to think about it would be like if you're on the front porch of someone's home and you're waiting to go inside. As you wait on the front porch... You can tell a lot about who's in the house and what's in the house by what you notice on the front porch. Uh, John's prologue has been called the foyer to the Gospel of John. So what we see and hear and understand here is setting the stage for everything else that's in the Gospel. So this is an important introduction and the concepts and the themes and the truths in this prologue are are opened up and unwrapped through the rest of the gospel. Not only that, but, but most scholars and commentators believe that this is a poem. It's a hymn. And that it was given to the early church as a way to remember, as a way to rejoice, as a way to understand deeply who Christ is and why he came. I don't know about you, but I love singing at Christmas probably more so than any other time of the year. The hymns are well known. Uh, They reflect deep theological truths that are very important. We've known them since childhood, so I think singing at Christmas and caroling at Christmas is just such an important way for us to worship and reflect on why Jesus came. So, two thoughts, just as I begin to read this. This is probably a poem or a song, and it's the foyer or the front porch here in the West Georgia area. This is the front porch to the rest of John's gospel. So I'll just say that and get to the point. Now, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning... Now, that should echo for you Genesis 1-1, which begins the Bible, in the beginning, God. That's intentional. Because as you read the rest of this verse, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He. The Word is a person. Not just a concept. He was in the beginning with God. Let us, Genesis says, create. Let us. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some of your versions there reflect the depth of this particular word. Some of the versions, rather than saying did not comprehend it, might say did not overcome it. And both ideas, I think, are present in the word that our versions interpret two different ways. There came a man sent from John, whose name, sent from God, sorry, whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. That all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. Now, our three previous Advent sermons dealt a good deal with John the Baptist, and that's who this is. So I'm not going to go into much detail on him, but isn't it interesting that every single gospel emphasizes John's role in pointing to the light who is Christ? I think I'm in verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them, to them, he gave the right or the power to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, camped among us in swaddling clothes, in a feed trough. Thank you, Larry, for educating us on how the Word became flesh, even down to the detail of the necessity of being wrapped in those swaddling clothes. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and, and cried out. It's like a preaching, like a sermon. He, he cried out and he said, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. That is a tremendous statement. He existed before I did, John the Baptist said. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Father, we are truly grateful to gather here on Christmas Eve to celebrate together uh, the coming of Christ into the world, the hope, the peace, the love, the joy. Today we think about the joy that he brings. Thank you, Father, for the gift of Christ for loving us and sending your Son. Help us today to understand more about Jesus so that in a world of difficulty and sorrow and brokenness and sin, we have higher and greater and weightier truths which can lead us to your joy. May we not only Receive Christ, know Christ, trust in Christ, but reflect the joy that he has brought to each of us by his grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we consider John chapter 1, what a, what a rich mine, I guess, of, of treasure and gold that we are dealing with here today. I hope and pray that you will make John 1, 1 through 18 part of your regular Bible reading because it says to us that Jesus was so much more than a baby in a manger. So much more than a teacher. So much more than a religious figure. And so what I hope to do this morning is to teach us what John desires to teach us about Christ, at least enough of it, for us to find a way to rejoice in a world in which it is difficult at times to find joy. So I've titled the sermon this morning, Glorious Reasons to Rejoice. And they're all rooted in Christ. They're rooted in who He is, and what he's done, and what the Bible promises that he will do. Uh, I have to admit that 
picking a word or a theme from this particular chapter is very difficult. But one of the thoughts that I was kind of hung up on, for lack of a, a, a better term, is there in verse 14, we beheld his glory. The word behold means to focus on, to gaze upon. And the word glory means weighty or heavy. So when we behold the, the glory of Christ and the heaviness of Christ, we say about a passage like this, uh, man, this is heavy. This is weighty. This is glorious. It's godly. And so the reason I introduce it in that particular way is that finding reasons for joy in this particular world where every week there is tragedy, every week there is sorrow, every week we deal with war and violence and hunger and poverty. There are a lot of reasons to not find joy or to not rejoice. Years ago, I participated in a sports camp during the summer with a group from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. At the time, FCA was just beginning to really begin to work and move in the West Georgia area. And so I was invited to be one of the speakers for uh, a group of female athletes who came for like three or four days. They stayed at West Georgia College. And the goal was to not only for them to do sports camp and training together in preparation for the season, but to preach and teach the gospel. And I was one of the speakers. It was kind of an intimidating uh, situation for me, but, and, and I can barely remember some of the things I said. I think I preached from like the book of Esther, and you know, this is your Esther moment. But what I am remembering today is that a speaker followed me on the platform to all these female athletes, and her basic message, do y'all remember when, when the shirts were popular, Life is Good? Do y'all remember those shirts? I had one of those shirts. I thought life was good, you know? Life was good. Her basic message was, life is not good. I was like, whoa. Here I was trying to be positive. She was a former coach at an institute of higher learning in our state, which I will not name, but it was not the University of Georgia. And I kid you not, for 25, 30 minutes, she told us why life is not good. I mean, look around you. There's war and death and divorce and tragedy. Life is not good. So there was a large element of truth in her particular message. So with a group of the leadership, we kind of had a debriefing after that message. And we, and we thought to ourselves, well, what do you think? <laughs> you know? And I can't remember exactly all that we said, but we came to the conclusion that, yes, on one particular level, life is not good. Life is tough, and then you die. But we firmly believe, and we preach, and we have beheld a good news... And a glorious truth that is so, it so far outweighs the bad that we can declare as Christians, yes, life has fallen, it's broken, it's difficult, it's hurtful, but it's still good. And we can rejoice in the good because the good ultimately is weightier and more glorious than the bad. That's why Paul Tripp says in Grief Share, Christmas is the sufferer's holiday. Even though it's a very difficult time for those who have uh, faced loss and grief, it's, it seems to uh, con compound it and, and magnify it. But Christmas is proof that God cares, that God acts, and that God moves, and that God has a better plan. So I, I better get to the text. Because these are the reasons why we rejoice in a broken and fallen world. I'm going to give you five of them. Um, so bear with me. But before I get into this, we, we've got to talk a little bit about the Word. Now, in verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 
that English word, word, in the Greek is the word logos. And it is a heavy word. In fact, it is nearly impossible to fully exhaust the meaning of logos, but you and I, uh, in our English speaking, may use at times the word logic. And that's where our word logic comes from. But, but for the Greeks and the Romans and the, the people of this particular culture, logos was a very deep and heavy word. What John is saying to us is the Logos is a person, and in verse 17 he tells us who that is. It's Jesus. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos, and in that he embodies all of these truths and all these concepts. He is the wisdom of God for a foolish world. He is the voice of God. For a deaf world. He is the life of God for a dying world. He is the light of God for a dark world. He is the truth of God for a deceptive world. He is reason. He is logic. He is God's rational principle. By the Word, we understand the universe, and the Word gives the universe and my life and your life meaning and substance. What is the fabric that holds together this whole cosmic order that is the universe? And it gives scientists and philosophers and, and, and all of us uh, truth in which to put this stuff together. It's Jesus who is the word of God, the wisdom of God, the logic of God, the life and the light and the truth. That's all just in verse 1. Oh, he's much more than a baby. He's much more than a teacher. He is the eternal Word of God. So here are five glorious truths about Jesus which serve to empower our joy. I saw Elf for the first time this past week. Really good, really good movie. But, but my favorite Christmas movie still is what Charles Schultz does with a Charlie Brown Christmas. And in that particular movie, there's this exchange between Linus and Lucy. And Lucy, man, there's, there's a lot of Lucys among us, okay? I'm going to be careful. She's telling him why he needs to memorize his lines for the Christmas play. She's going on and on, and he's going on and on. He says, why, why do you want me to memorize these lines? And, and she says, put that blanket away. And he drops his blanket. And eventually she looks at him and she says, look, I'm going to give you five good reasons you need to memorize your lines. And here they are. One, two, three, four, five, right? And he says, man, Christmas is not just getting more commercial. It's getting dangerous. So here are five good reasons to rejoice. Number one, consider his infinite nature. The infinite nature of the Word of God, that is Jesus. Without going too much into breaking down the exegesis of this, let's just say that this passage proves that he is eternal. John 1.1 takes us to the very beginning in eternity past. Uh, there has never been a time when he was not. He is the eternal, immortal Word of God. There has never been a time when Jesus was not, when the Son was not, when the Word was not. He is co-equal, co-eternal. He is also deity. He is God. This literally says God was the Word. The Word has the same substance as God. He is very God of very God. Co-substantial of the same substance. He is also creator. The Son of God was the wisdom of God creating with God all that is not God. Let me say that again. 
The Son of God was the wisdom of God creating with God all that is not God. The agency of creation was the Word of God. He breathed it all into existence. This cosmos, this world was formed through the Logos, the Word of God. And he is absolutely necessary. This says that without him, nothing is ma- was made that is made. All things came to a, to in, in, into being by him. He is absolutely essential. So life is a sacred gift that you and I don't deserve. We owe to him our very existence. In him we live and move and have our being. But if you attempt to take the reins, if you attempt to set up on your own independently of God, the pathway to that is not joy, but rather misery, because there's nothing substantial or eternal. I think Sarah Beth put it best in the children's sermon, that our source of joy and our reason for joy, the logical, rational reason for joy, is in God alone, who is weightier and heavier than any particular problem that I may face or have Monday through Friday. Christmas is a very difficult time. It's an exhausting time, but the reason we're gathered here this morning is because of the eternal nature of our infinite Word, this Jesus who loves us and who gave himself up for us. So rejoice in the fact that we have a joy that's attached to a person and and, and is a person. And he is eternal, he is God, he is creator, and he's absolutely necessary, and he is enough. He is enough. Okay, so the first reason. Okay, Lucy, what's reason number one? Not a fist but his infinite nature, okay? Stay with me. Number two, his illuminating power. He is light. And John repeatedly gave us this concept of light and life. Light and life have broken into the darkness. Light and life have broken into the darkness. This is illumination, but it is also life-giving power. He has, the word does, the right and the power to make alive. He is that which enables men to recognize the operation of God in the world. The word of God is a life-giving word. This is good news. Because in times of darkness, I have difficulty grasping joy or being joyful. And my mood on the surface... It can go any number of places. But if he has given me this understanding, and if the light shines in the darkness, he's given us this light, and the way this phrase is, the light shines, here's here's joy unspeakable and full of glory. It, it, It keeps giving light. He keeps giving light and life. John made an important point. The darkness will not overpower and cannot comprehend the light and the life of Christ. We face formidable foes every single day, both inside and out. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But I rejoice in the fact that the darkness will never overcome the light, that the gates of hell will never overcome the church, and when the light is turned on, all the darkness is chased away. Darkness does not understand it. Darkness does not quench it. But light has come into the world in Christ. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But the light of Christ will never, will never, ever be extinguished. And his resurrection and his ascension, the rest of the story proves that there is no foe that can darken or damper or diminish the light and the life of Christ. He has illuminating power. Number three, reason number three, to continue to rejoice in a world where some people say life is not good. It is good. Because what we have in Christ is the incarnate dwelling of God. God came down to us in a body. 
Why does that give us joy? Because the, the immortal, eternal God came down here into our mess. He loved us so much that he tabernacled among us. He, he camped out with us. <laughs> Some of you staying together at Christmas? <laughs> God came down to us. The word of God was made flesh and he tabernacled among, among us. We rejoice because Emmanuel has come. This communicates his love, his care, his activity, his, his presence. God the creator has written himself into the story. God the creator put himself in the story, in, in, in the person of Christ. Uh, some of the thoughts that come to my mind, some of you may have been or, or may still are fans of, of Seinfeld. Larry David, one of the writers in The Creators. There are certain scenes and certain episodes where he's put himself into the story. And the people who know that are like, look, there he is right there. That was him. What's he doing in the story? God has put himself in the story in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God has come down to us, to you, to our level. He became sin for us. Not only did he come to tabernacle among us and to camp out among us, representing as in the Old Testament, God tabernacled among his people, but God comes to us and is with us, and at the same time we have the promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us, but Christmas is not just God with us and God for us, it's also God in us. And that's the most amazing truth of all. We as human beings have the power to come down and be with people. It's been said that love that goes up is worship, love that goes out is affection, but, but love that stoops down is, is grace. But God has made it possible for him to live in us. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas memories growing up as a child is one particular, almost every Christmas morning, my grandparents who lived just right down the road, they would come up on Christmas morning and they'd eat breakfast with us and they'd see the toys that we got. And I'll never forget the time when my grandfather, who at that time I thought was really old, but that age is getting younger by the day, the toys that my brother and I got for Christmas, he, he got down in the floor and played with us. And I thought, man, that's incredible <laughs> that he would get down here with us and play with us. It made an impression. The story of Christmas is God incarnate dwelling among us. God has written himself into the story. And he's not just any character, but he's a suffering character. He's a sacrificial character. He's a dying character. He's a rising from the dead character. Christmas is God with us. That, that should give us joy. Number four, and I'll cover these last two relatively quick, quickly. Number four, his indescribable gift. He is the gift. But what John continues to emphasize is something like this. Of his fullness we have received. Why did he repeat that word receive so often? Because we receive something which is given or offered. We receive gifts. And the greatest gift of all is the power to become children of God. The gift of Christ is indescribable. Because wrapped up in Christ are all of God's gracious gifts. You're handed a gift on Christmas Day. And you begin to open it up. And sometimes you're like me. I love it. What is it? How do I use it? What is this gift of Christ? 
All God's gifts are wrapped up in Christ. It's forgiveness, past, present, and future. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation. The only begotten one, the one intimately one with the Father, in the bosom of the Father. We may use the phrase bosom buddies. This is deeper than that. The only one in the intimate bosom with the Father, this oneness has reconciled to us. So I'm much more than forgiven. I'm also one with God. I'm united to God. I'm reconciled. And not only that, but we have a new nature. He gives us the power to be not only born again, born from above, but to be changed. To be transformed from glory to glory. By grace upon grace. And then we have the promise of a new body that will be like his resurrected body. In a new heaven and a new earth. No more sorrow, continual eternal joy, a sinless existence. We shall be like him. And then there won't ever be any more struggle about is life good or is life not good. Then life will be perfect. Absolutely perfect. Grace and truth... Realized in Christ. Grace upon grace received in Christ. When we deserve the very opposite, we deserve his wrath. Jesus experienced the darkness of both the womb and the cross and the tomb on our behalf so that those of us who don't deserve anything can receive the most indescribable gift of everything in Christ. Are you still with me? That's four. What's number five? What's connected to John the Baptist, and it's the fact that we are witnesses. God, after all this, there's one other thing. Throughout this gospel, he gives those who know him, those who follow him, an inspiring assignment. We have an assignment. And it should inspire us every day, giving us meaning and structure. And when the three or four cups of coffee are gone early in the morning, we still have a reason to live. Logos, reason. He's the reason that all things exist. He's the reason that you and I live day to day. What is the assignment? To, to, to go and be a light. To reflect His light. To be His witnesses. To make disciples. If you love Him, feed my sheep. He didn't just come and then ascend. And not only does He reign eternally, but He calls you and He calls me to the most inspiring reason to live. And it is a joyful reason to live. It's a reason connected to all that is beautiful, all that is true, all that is eternal. He's given you and I a bigger reason to live than just working for the weekend. And what is it? Just as He is the light, we too can be the light. And I think if there's anything on our mission and assignment that ought to mark us out as different from the world, it ought to be our joy. Why? Because you and I know and believe and have experienced the reasons to rejoice. That's why the Bible commands us, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus said, my joy shall never be taken away from you. What are the reasons for that? Well, I just gave you the four. And then the, 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 the assignment that we have is in a world of darkness and sickness and death and war and all the bad stuff, you and I can still, underneath, have this current of joy to reflect to others. I had a kid ask me years ago, this just came to the, these are dangerous thoughts sometimes. But he looked at me and said, why are you so nice? I had taken this kid riding around on a four-wheeler and just, I mean, stuff that he never got to do. He says, why are you so nice? It's like, what's, what's the hook? <laughs> what are you, you going to pull? I don't remember what I responded. 
But always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Always be ready to give a reason for the joy that's in you. I was a little bit surprised this morning when on one of the threads that I saw that at Times Square in New York City, did anybody else see this, that all the screens went blank. New York City of all places. Now, for the first time ever, all the screens at Times Square went blank and they began to show the reason for Christmas. And I only saw a brief moment of it, and it was this morning as I was getting ready to come. I thought, that's incredible. That's good. <laughs> I read somewhere that at Rockefeller Center, one of the security guards was interviewed years ago. And they were interviewing about the effect that the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center actually had on the people of New York during the Christmas season. And he said, it's a real thing. He says, I've noticed that the mood and the attitude of people after that tree is put up, it's lifted, it's up. It reflects something larger than life. And the mood of daily life in the Big Apple. If you and I know these reasons, then people ought to be able to look at us and we ought to be marked in a different way and a more powerful way that there are heavy, heavy reasons that we have to rejoice in a world of brokenness. And that person is Jesus Christ. Father, thank you this morning for Christ, our Savior. All of us could give 50 reasons to be miserable this morning. We could write them down. But your truths transcend all the reasons that we might have not to rejoice. May we behold his glory. May we recognize him. May we see him. May we know him. May we follow him. May we cast our life, our soul, our all on the incredible goodness of the gospel and what you have done for us in Christ when we deserve the very opposite of grace. All that through Jesus, our reason to rejoice. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. You come as we sing, O Holy Night.
Amen. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for in Catherine's absence filling in so so well and so beautifully. Uh, that's a difficult song when you know the words, when the words are on the screen. Uh, without the words, we're lost. So, hey, I want to take this opportunity publicly to thank Randy and Tammy because every single week, They are volunteers in every sense of the word, and, and, and they work so hard, put in a lot of extra hours, not only back there, but, but in other areas. So what I did before service from, from all of us, I gave an envelope to Randy and an envelope to Tammy as a token of our gratitude here at Christmas for what they do throughout the year. So thank you, Randy and Tammy, for your service to Christ and this church by what you do there in the back, uh, without y'all, we, 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 we would be lost in a lot of ways. So, so thank you. Tonight at 6 o'clock, come back, candlelight, communion, Christmas Eve service. Was there anything else that we were supposed to say or do? All right, Stephanie, if you'll close us out. Thank y'all so much. Have a Merry Christmas. Mm. Thank y'all for sitting at the dead. Love you, buddy. Thank y'all for your Christmas card, man. Did I make it? I did ring it. Skip, y'all have a Merry Christmas. Yes, thank y'all.